You're listening to the Douglas Shikoe Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is beginning a new series called Messianic Judaism, sharing a lesson today entitled, Israel, Still God's People? For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Messianic Judaism 6. Is Israel still God's people? Last time we looked at the many ways in which Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, and that cast light on Matthew 5.17, and what in particular he meant when he said he did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. This is an important subject. Now, it does follow that if the old covenant is no longer in force, because the new covenant went into effect through the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 9, then unless God made a fresh covenant with the Jews, then they are no longer in a covenant relationship with him. Although that follows, that is denied by the Messianics. See, the new covenant of which the New Testament speaks is for all believers, not just for a special group, nor is there a second tier or any kind of elitism. We read in Galatians 3, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Someone with a Jewish background is no more the seed of Abraham than someone from a totally Gentile background. Nor is... uh, a male Christian, somehow in a different category from a female Christian. We're all Abraham's seed. The ethnic claim, the uh, genealogy, whatever connection we may try to make to connect us with God's Old Testament people, it doesn't really matter. Israel, are they still God's chosen people? Those who deny this are called supersessionists, That is, they believe in a supersession or a a replacement of one thing by something better. Uh, But more often, it's called replacement theology. So the the traditional Christian position has been that the church is Israel now. Whoever is a real Christian is in the Israel of God. But that would mean there is no special status for the Jews or for the nation of Israel today. And so that's called replacement theology. What I'd like to do in this talk is look at some things that Jesus said about the matter, whether the Jews would always be God's people. We'll be looking at a bit of Peter and Paul. And then shortly before the end, I'd like to address the doctrine of the so-called two houses. Um, and I'll exp- if you've not heard of that, you may hear of it later, as it's held to by some Messianics. In Matthew 8, we read of an interaction between centurion and Jesus, which is remarkable for the centurion's faith. He's a Roman soldier. He's not Jewish at all. And I like to read uh, Matthew 8, 8 to 12, where he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes, another come and he comes to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's Jesus saying that the sons of the kingdom, those who claim their spiritual pedigree or heritage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be cast out, whereas those who are outside Israel will come from those various directions, and they will be inside. I'd like to look at one more parable in Matthew, and that's the parable of the uh, vineyard. Let's read Matthew 21, 33 to 43. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, Well, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's a quotation from Psalm 118. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people bearing the fruits of it. That was from the New King James Version. Jesus says explicitly that the kingdom would be removed from uh, the people of God and given to those who are bearing fruits of it. That is, they're living uh, by faith, they're willing to accept the message. And that parable entails um, a, a series of messengers. Uh, these are prophets, basically. They're rejected. Um, they're abused. They're killed. And then finally, the son is sent. I mean, this is, everyone knows, this is talking about Jesus and God's anger, his uh, rejection. And you don't reject Jesus and still get to be okay with God. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, this is a very hard verse to explain away. I think if you're a messianic, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people bearing the fruits of it. If it's taken from them, then that exclusive claim uh, to be God's people is gone. Paul speaks about Israel at length in Romans 9 to 11. And uh, for now, let's just look at one, I think it's a very key verse, uh, this is right after Paul says he could wish that he were cut off uh, from Christ. In other words, he could take the place of the Jews who are no longer um, in a right relationship with God. That passage is very similar to a prayer of Moses uh, as he speaks to God in Exodus 32, 32. But you can look at that later on. In Romans 9, 6, and this is partially to answer the question of, you know, if these are God's people, then why have so many rejected Jesus. Obviously, many Jews accepted Jesus too, but many also rejected him. Paul says, It is not as though the word of God had failed, for not all Israelites truly belong to Israel. 
and not all of Abraham's children are his true descendants. But it is through Isaac that the descendants shall be named for you. So Paul reminds us that Abraham had two sons. There was Ishmael and there is Isaac. Each of them had quite um, a number of descendants and became mighty peoples. But the children of faith were not uh, Ishmael and his offspring. They were Isaac and his offspring. And Paul uses that to illustrate the point that being descended from Abraham is simply not enough. God's word has not failed. But the way God looks at someone who's truly a Jew is different to the way we might do that. In Romans 2, the whole chapter uh, treats this issue, but that's the chapter where at the end he says, if someone was never circumcised, this is a Gentile, but you know, had faith, lived the right way, wouldn't that person be reckoned as, as though they were circumcised? Remember, John the Baptist said, you know, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And he talks to some very um, proud Jewish listeners. And don't say to yourselves that we're sons of Abraham. God is able to raise up stone, uh, sons of Abraham from these stones. So it's not about ethnic identity. And this uh, conflicts with the major premise of Messianic Judaism. Sometimes people will refer to Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul says that uh, God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. Um, let's read this, 28 to 32. As far as the gospel is concerned, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now receive mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So he's talking about uh, Jews who ceased to be his people. They were cut off and in their place, so to speak, Gentiles were grafted in. Uh, but it could go the other way too, because it's not about your ethnic identity. It's not about your heritage, your pedigree. It's about faith. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable, but that doesn't mean that they're unconditionally available to those who reject God, who uh, all day long break God's heart and don't live in a way that pleases him. God's gifts and his calling were simply transferred. Uh, and this was not like a plan B. This was the plan all along. God promised to Abraham, Genesis 12, I'm going to, many nations will be blessed from you. This is not just one. The idea is not just to have one small people and they have all the blessing. It's that God will work through you and then the entire world uh, will have that spiritual blessing. So the gifts and calling are still there, but we can always say no. Paul himself exemplifies God's faithfulness. It's quite ironic that many Protestants insist that you're saved by faith alone, and they flirt with the idea that, well, you can still be saved even if you lose your faith, um, you know, the doctrine of once saved, always saved, or even if you never had any faith at all in Christ, which is basically what's being said about the vast majority of Jewish people today. Uh, some of you, if you know me, you know I was brought up, uh, most of my friends were Jewish when I was in school. Um, I'm very familiar. Um, I am... 
not, however, persuaded that just because they're Jewish, they're right with God. Most um, Jews, by the numbers, by the surveys, are most are atheists and agnostics. And that's true not only in my country, but even in Israel. So Paul never intended those words in Romans 11 we just read about the gifts and call uh, to be taken as some absolute promise. You can behave as badly as you want and you're still my people. That is simply not true, nor is that the message of the prophets in the Old Testament. So God still has a people, but the people are the church. Uh, Messianics will say it's false. In fact, many, many evangelicals will say that God isn't done with the Jews. And what they mean is that the nation of Israel exists in a special category, and because of fulfillment of prophecy, and there will be a mass conversion, eventually we'll look at that in uh, two lessons from now. Uh, but this is not biblical. God has a people but the true people, the true sons and daughters of Abraham, are those who believe in Jesus Christ. And no one will be saved apart from obedient faith. What about Peter? Uh, we looked earlier in a different talk of, uh, at 1 Peter 2, which harks back to Exodus 19, where all of God's people serve a function as a holy people, as a nation of priests. There's also Deuteronomy 18. Uh, I'll start around verse 18. This is a key passage in Christian apologetics, and Peter uses this when he speaks to the Jewish people in Acts 3. So he's quoting Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you, and it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. So what that means is when Jesus came to his own people, and they rejected him, and again, not all rejected him, but that was probably the majority, that they're not going to be saved just because of their ethnic markers or that because they keep kosher law. People who don't listen to Jesus will be destroyed. They're not given a second chance in the end times. That's it. They need to accept him. Okay, a word or two on the doctrine of the two houses before we um, bring this to a close. In the 1960s, there was that six-day war. It was in June 1967. And after that, uh, this Israel had been a nation almost 20 years, but it was flexing its muscles, amazing victories, although not as amazing when you realize the technology they had <clears throat> um, and, and that their ally, the United States, was behind the whole thing. But this is when the doctrine of the two houses uh, seems to have really taken off. And it's based on Jeremiah 31. Uh, where it says the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And so their idea is that, well, when it says the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that these are two different uh, sets of people. The way I would look at that, he's simply saying all of God's people. Historically, northern Israel uh, was less faithful and was exiled more quickly than southern Judah, but they were both, both sides were were pretty bad and equal in, in rejecting the Lord. A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, if it only meant, uh, if that only referred to the Jews, then the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 8 would have been totally misapplying it because he's showing that it has to do with us as Christians. Now, uh, what's claimed, and this is quite stunning to me when I first heard it, is that when it says I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, that that's the lost tribes, and that those lost tribes are the Gentiles. Now, I'm wondering, how can someone get that from that passage? It seems to be too much freight for that verse to support. I understand 
uh, Judah is where we get the word Jews from, the Judeans, because the southern tribe of Judah, along with Benjamin, their neighbors, and probably Simeon, who was actually a tribe inside the territory of Judah, uh, but they were the, the ones who were faithful longer. We remember Hezekiah and Josiah, but eventually even Judah turned away um, and were punished, exiled um, by Babylon, whereas the northern sister Israel uh, went to Assyria. Well, the, what, what we read in 2 Kings 17 is that when the northern tribes uh, were displaced, they were exiled, the Assyrians brought in peoples from other nations, and there was a, a mixing. We read about this in many Old Testament books, but there was a uh, intermixing so that the distinctiveness of those 10 tribes, the northern tribes, was pretty much lost. Now, you can find some very strange groups who tell you, oh, they went to Britain, or uh, they're in the New World, or they're in the Americas or something. But basically, they just fizzled out. And you might say, well, so... You mean a, a Jew doesn't know what tribe he's from anymore? That's basically true, because the Judeans maintained their distinctiveness a lot longer. People from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the kings, um, are, are far more likely to be identified than people from Naphtali or Gad or Asher, or some of the northern tribes. And then you also have the Levites. Many Levites uh, compromised, but many were faithful, and they were the group from which the priests came, and they're the ones who kept the, the uh, best records also. At any rate, the idea that uh, the covenant will be with uh, believing uh, Judah and unbelieving Israel or something like that doesn't really make sense. And this is what surprised me even more, is the claim that, well, the Gentiles are basically the lost tribes. They went other places. And this, is, this may or may not be tied into a belief that our earth is only 6,000 years old. So you want to have the, the whole covenant, the house of Judah or the Jews, the house of Israel is the rest of the world. Uh, I just don't see that working, not just biologically, but theologically, scripturally. It just doesn't work. And besides, God's entire people are called Israel in the Chronicles. Israel can mean the north. It can mean the covenant name of Isaac. It can mean uh, all of God's faithful people. Uh, and as I say, in Chronicles, Paul actually says that he himself is an Israelite. And he is from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, the tribe of King Saul which was close to, to Judah. At any rate, what to say next? It's not just uh, Gentiles. The house of Israel are not Gentiles with a trace of Israelite blood in their veins. When they had the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, uh, and uh, at the end, the apostles, uh, Paul, Peter, they spoke, and James, the brother of Jesus, summed up. But Acts 15, 16, they quote from the book of Amos, and it goes like this. After this, I will return, I will set, I will rebuild the dwelling of David, or we could say the tent of David, which has fallen. From its ruins, I will rebuild it, and I will set it up. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the passage continues, so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. So the apostles and elders saw that the rebuilding of God's house was not a literal house, a literal temple, or even something like the tabernacle, um, nor was it a specifically Jewish thing. Now, if you just read the prophecy in Amos, rebuilding the dwelling of the house of David, you would think, okay, well, okay, that must be the third temple. That, that must be in the future still. No, 
because the way it's interpreted in Acts 15 is that this is being fulfilled in the Gentile mission. Not some end-time event, but something that was happening in the first century and continues to happen. So this doctrine of the two houses uh, comes, like many wrong doctrines do, from an over-literalization, um, as passages are interpreted, and also, I think, a failure to understand the historic position of the Christian church. But it also comes from reading passages out of context. How did the early church understand uh, Acts 15? How did they understand Amos's prophecy? Not, the, not as the doctrine of the two houses or any such thing. The prophecy of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, house of Israel, house of Judah, is simply a way of saying all of my people. Finally, in Ephesians 2, I'd like to read select verses from uh, 12 to 18. And here he, Paul is speaking and he refers to the Gentiles. Remember at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, the Gentiles weren't somehow part of the house of Israel or the ten lost tribes. Nothing to do with that. They were total strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace and his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And he's not talking here about um, the Judeans, Jews versus the other Israelites. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And then he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. It's a wonderful passage. Take a look. We're going to be examining God's rejection of fleshly Israel as a nation in the next two talks. And then after that, we'll be looking at the doctrine that there'll be a mass conversion of the Jews in the end times. I hope it's interesting. I hope it's helpful. God bless. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Messianic Judaism. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.